would to 1 Timothy chapter 3. While you're turning there, uh, some of y'all might read uh, sort of the updates and the newsletters from Jan Markell. She was just talking about Israel in this hour and said it's amazing how silent the church is about it. You know, you, there's a group called the National Association of Evangelicals. National is an American thing. Okay, evangelicals. And <clears throat> no, nowhere on their website, you would think it would be the headline to pray for Israel on their website. The, the, all they're talk, talking about is racial equality. That's what they're speaking about right now, rather than pay, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And uh, they, they all, you scroll down way to the bottom of their website, the National Association of Evangelicals, and they, this is the only thing they mention about it, about Israel and them being attacked, is they, they say that our, Israel should not act out of revenge and that they should support the dignity of all people affected. That's weak. That's pathetic. We're going to answer to God for that. I'm going to pray for Israel. I'm not going to be guilty of this myself, okay? I'm going to pray for Jerusalem, whether it's popular or unpopular. It's popular with God, and that's, who I, that's the only one I need to be popular with. And so we're going to continue to pray for them. I don't think that they're perfect people. You know, their blood, he said, Jesus' blood be upon our hands, and it has been. They've rejected Christ, and, but he has not cast them off forever. He has a plan for them, and he tells us to pray for them. Our Lord and Savior, I say it all the time, salvation is of the Jews. That's what Jesus told the woman at the well. And our Lord and Savior, when I'm praying for Israel, I think about it. He came as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He came from a Jewish line. That was that race and that people that God chose to love because he chose to love them. He made a covenant with them because he chose to make a covenant with them. It's an everlasting covenant, and he's not done with Israel, even though up till this point as a whole, they have been done with him. But there are many that are going to be saved, many in the last days that are going to be born again from the Jewish people. Amen. Hallelujah for that. So just remember that. We're not walking in the popular ground among not only churches, but evangelical churches. It's not popular. Okay, but we're going we're gonna to stay with the truth and with, with God's word. So here we are in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We started it last week. And the first two-thirds of this chapter, actually through verses 1 through 13, talk about the qualifications. Remember, these are the pastoral epistles. There's a lot of order that's given about sound doctrine and so forth. Order within the church. And uh, we've looked, spent several weeks on uh, on different orders in the church, okay, for men and women and so forth, even dress and appearance and things like that. And now we're seeing uh, qualifications. The first seven verses, and I'm going to read them, are the qualifications for a bishop, all right? So just to refresh your memory, uh, a bishop is an overseer. He is an elder. These used, words are used interchangeably. Some of the same people in Acts 20 that Paul uh, spoke to the leaders of the churches there in Ephesus in that area on his last missionary journey when he was admonishing them to continue the grace of God and to, uh, to, to minister to the flock over God, which made them overseers. 
uh, this, this, some are called elders, and then three, three or four verses later in the same chapter, the same people are called elders. It's the same people, the same position. So elder, when you think about bishop, the qualifications of a bishop within the church, that is basically the pastor, okay? The overseer, the elder, the oversees the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, local churches. So let's read 1 through 7. We covered uh, quite a bit of this last week, so we're not going to be too repetitive. But let's read. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be, so these are God's qualifications, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. So the last two verses talking about those that, uh, instructions or qualifications, specifically that he wouldn't fall into temptation and snares and traps that the devil would set. So last week... We talked about verses 1 through 3. I've counted up, depending on how you divide them up, I think there are 16 qualifications for the bishop, okay? And so uh, let's pick up in verse 4. We talked last week about the first three verses and broke that down. Some of these we'll spend more time on than others. Verse 4, one that well, ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? It's a good question. It's, a, it's almost like a rhetorical question. It's, a, it's to make you scratch your head and think, well, you're right, okay? And so it would appear, it would appear from this passage, also uh, in verse 1, it would appear that the uh, bishop must be a man, Okay? A bishop, an overseer, a pastor. If a man desire the office of a bishop, verse 1, here it says uh, one that rules his own uh, husband of one wife, it said in verse 2. And then it says here, having his children in subjection and, and ruling his own house. Uh, again, I don't see any, any support for a woman pastor. I see one, uh, support for women ministering in other positions in the church. Okay, but not for a pastor. I don't see any support for that at all. So, um, and here he's talking about having, having, if you're going to be the pastor, the overseer of God's people, the bishop, that you would have to be a successful bishop, so to speak, an overseer of God's church and God's people, that he or that individual must first be a good overseer, and a godly leader in his own home. I know that sounds basic, but a lot of things in the Bible are basic. They're important. And a lot of times people skip over, over basic things, and it comes back to bite them, and it comes back to bring shame on the Lord. And so he must be rule his own house. Not talking about ruling like a tyrant. So many times when we think of rulers, we picture, picture 
some human being, a Napoleon or a Hitler, or, you know, somebody that ruled as a tyrant. That's not what a biblical ruler is. David wasn't a tyrant, okay? He was, he was, Moses wasn't a tyrant. He was an intercessor and a shepherd, all right? And Christ the Lord is the good shepherd. And so don't get those pictures in your mind. Get the biblical pictures in your mind of what, how one is to rule his own house. And not a tyrant, but a leader, okay? If he cannot and does not, rule his own house. He may be a Christian, but he's not doing a good job, so to speak, in the home. Uh, how can he pastor God's people? How can he rule them if he cannot successfully in a godly manner lead his wife and children and oversee them according to the word of God? You know, there's qualifications for everybody in the Bible. We're studying bishops and deacons right here. But there's a qualification for a Christian, right? We're to prefer one another. We're to love the Lord with all of our heart. Just These are just basics. A pastor should have all those, and then, then there's more or a higher standard, so to speak. But these are not qualifications that are just unheard of. They're, they're qualifications for a wife, for a husband, for a mother, for a father, for children, all through the Bible, for servants, for uh, masters, all through the Bible. Here, qualifications for a pastor, he should, uh, he should rule his own house and his wife and children in a godly way. How can he, the Bible says, pastor and lead God's people if he's not doing it in the home? Not a bully, not a tyrant, but a leader. He's going to be Christ-like. He's going to be spiritually mature. And he says, how can, if he can't rule his own house, in verse 5, how shall he take care of the church of God? I thought this was interesting. The only other place in the whole Bible in Scripture where that phrase, take care, that means the same thing as this, is with the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan took care of the man he found beat, beaten a stranger to him, but he gave of his money, his time, his own donkey for the guy to ride on, paid for him, took care of him, picked up the bill for it, right? And checked on him. That's the care. And so this, how can this man or a, an individual care for God's people if he's not first leading in his home? So that's the thought that's given here. And I think it's a good one. Um, he's got to rule well his own house. He's got to be spiritually mature. His sons and daughters in the faith... That would be people in his church, members of his church over which he oversees. His sons and daughters in the faith most likely will turn out like his sons and daughters at home. It's just something to think about. Not always. I'm sure there would be an exception to that at some point. I would say this, and I don't we have, know we don't have a, a lot of pastors here, but even a minister. I would say this to any minister, okay, and certainly to a pastor, that the, if don't fail on the home front and think you're going to be successful in the church. I would say it to anybody. I would say it to a, a youth pastor. I would say it to anybody, young or old, because God's word admonishes that, that we have to first, I would say to a young minister, okay, first of all, make sure you minister to your family. It's not one or the other, by the way. Well, I gave all my time and now my church is neglected or I gave all my time to church and the family's neglected. First and foremost, make sure that your family is ministered to. Do both. 
but make that a priority. It's not a second, it's not some little peripheral issue that's unimportant. Make sure, okay? And so, all right, let's keep moving. And I want to spend a little time on this verse as well. So that was 4 and 5, verse 6. I don't usually have my phone up here, but I had it. Uh, I had it for that update from Israel. Okay, verse 6. Not a novice. This is a good one. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So what is a novice? We've probably heard that word before. Novice simply means a beginner. It's the definition of the word a beginner. So we're talking about what? A bishop, an overseer, caretaker, pastor of the church, a local body of believers that Jesus purchased with his own blood. That individual should not be a novice. They should not be a beginner. It's not a sin to be a beginner. We're all beginners at one time. But it's a beginner. And a beginner should not be in leadership over other people within the house of God. God forbids it. Okay? Don't do it. Don't do that. Don't make that person. It's not fair to them. And it's not healthy to them to put them in that position because you're setting them up for pride and a snare of the devil. You're doing it. If you say, we're putting this person in that position. And it's unfair and unhealthy for the church to be governed over or pastored or shepherded by somebody that's a beginner. Again, it's not a sin to be a beginner. With the day you got saved and I got saved, I was a beginner. And then we grow, right? We grow and mature. So it's not talking about sin. We're talking about wisdom being wise to not put a beginner in that position. He tells us why. Do not put a new convert or an immature, untested believer in a position of leadership. I don't think this just speaking of pastors. Anything that would be over other people. A position. It's an honored position and wonderful to have and, and we desire. Anything that would put an immature, new convert or untested believer in a place of leadership. Don't do it. They're, they should not be leading in an authority over others. In a spiritual sense, okay? And a pastor is over that flock, and Christ is over him, and we're all under submission to the Lord. But don't put an immature beginner in that position. And I will say this, being a novice, according to the Word of God, has nothing to do with age. It's as far as physical age. And I'll give you an example. Look at, look at 1 Timothy 4.12, just with me real quickly. We'll get to this in the weeks ahead. Here's an admonition of Paul to his young pastor, protege, disciple, Timothy. And Paul says, let no man despise thy youth. That has to do with his physical age. He was a young man. But be thou an example of the brethren in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So being a novice has nothing to do with one's age. You could be young and have been saved a long time and battle-tested and been serving the Lord and bearing much fruit that's evident to the people around you and be mature in Christ and be young. Timothy was. From a child, he knew the Holy Scriptures, right? Which are able to make them wise, him wise unto salvation. And Paul took him under his wing as a young man, and he was discipled and grew up. So though he was still young, probably younger than a lot of people in his church, okay? And this is why Paul's saying, look, don't don't let men put you down because you're young in the church. Just because they're older than you. God's called you to that. You're, you're equipped for that. You're prepared for that. 
Paul would have never himself put him in this position had the Holy Ghost not told Paul to do and if Timothy himself was not qualified and met every one of these qualifications, okay? And so it has nothing to do with the physical age, being young. It has to do with maturity. Well, when is, when is one mature enough? Well, the Lord knows and the Holy Ghost knows and it'll show the church and it'll show that individual. I don't stress about things like that. The Lord will show the person and the Lord will show the church. And, and you know, it comes through a close walk with God praying and fasting, and, and God appoints that and, and calls that individual. But I have seen this. I've seen it with my own eyes where people that are novices have been put in positions of leadership over others. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. It's not, you just know it's not right. Even if you didn't know this scripture, and we do know this scripture, what happens? Well, he tells us pride can enter in. Pride can enter in. In other words, here's a young person. All of a sudden, they're thrust in this position of leadership over other people that have been saved for a long time and walking with the Lord. And now they're in, in that position. They're not ready for that position. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm saying they're not ready for that position. And they're put in that position. And what happens? Pride can enter in. Can I tell you that pride has no place in ministry? There's no place in Christianity. So we got Lucifer kicked out of, of heaven. It was his pride, but it has absolutely no place in ministry. Pride has no place in ministry. And so even though a believer may have been in church a long time, let's say that they're, they're not young and they've been in church a long time, there's people that are in churches that have been in church for a long, long time that are still novices. There are people that can be old and they're saved and they've been in church a long time, but they're still immature. They're still unproven, and they're still a novice. That's their own doing, so to speak. It's their own pursuit of God or lack of pursuit of the Lord. Their own lack of hunger for Christ and a desire to grow and, and carnality and things that might be in their life. So, again, it's not physical age. You can be a Christian a long time and still be a novice. You can be fairly young and still be mature in the Lord. I thought this was interesting. Novice, we gave the definition, it means a beginner, but there's like in the definition like a little example. And it says the, it's the idea of a newly planted tree. So you take a newly planted tree. It's a tree. It's not even just a little sprout or some sapling. You take, you see people transplant trees and uh, big, you know, oak trees and crepe myrtles that are pretty big. They've been living for 10 years and they pick them up and they move them. So by the appearance, it would look, it's in its new home now. And it looks like it's strong and, and ready to go, but it's not, is it? It was just planted three hours ago. There's not one root from that tree that's taken root in the new ground where it's planted. It's not ready. If a strong wind came and a tropical storm comes, you know, if it's not propped up, it's going to go over. It looks, looks good and strong and all that's still budding on flowers and everything. But it, it's, so I thought that was a good example. So a novice is untested that tree that was just planted recently planted it needs time to grow that's all i'll say it one more time because i wanted to spend time on this novice idea this thought and that it's not that they're in sin and don't treat them in like as though they're in sin they're just immature and they need to grow 
And you can see two people the exact same age, two people that are saved on the exact same day in the exact same church, and one far outstrips, runs the other one, so to speak, in their growth and maturity. That's only because of their desire for the Lord and hunger. The Lord would do that for this one over here if they desired the Lord like John the Beloved desired to be close to Jesus. The Lord would do it for this one. So uh, a bishop must be a man of experience. He must be battle-tested. He must uh, be able to apt to teach. We talked about counsel, instruct, and he should have the respect of the saints. He should have the respect, and I'll say this, not just the popularity of the church. He should have the respect of the church and the mature saints within the body, and there's a difference. Everybody likes so-and-so, and they got this charismatic personality or whatever. That's not a qualification for a bishop. It's nothing wrong with it, but it's one of the most dangerous things and unwise things that a church can do. Again, for the individual and for the church to put an untested, immature person in the position of pastoring over other people. Again, God's word and God forbids it. It's not up to us. He forbids it. And so the novice himself needs to be led. The novice himself needs to be taught. And this is what Paul did with Timothy. He took him under his wing and spent time with him and built him up, instructed him and said, follow me, Timothy, as I follow Christ. I'm bringing you in here with me. You're going to see how I pray and live and how I handle persecution and how I preach and how I go to a, lot, a city where there's not one Christian there and how I first bring the gospel. You're going to see it. You're going to see how I stand for God and, and pray and how I hold the sound doctrine, how I t- talk to the Jews about the Messiah they rejected. You're going to watch this. And so he, he was taught, he was led, and the novice needs to be taught and led not to lead others. They must be fed, they must study, they must grow, they must help serve, and that takes time. I will say this, it does not mean, remember these are qualifications for a bishop, it does not mean that the novice cannot uh, serve in some capacity. We all should be serving. You got saved yesterday. Hey, we got some, <laughs> some tables. We're having dinner on the grounds. Can you help me set these up? We're setting up for VBS. Can you help me? There's, there's ways that uh, a novice can serve. And I'll tell you what, those things are important. You don't jump from, from doing nothing to being a pastor. You shouldn't. You should, you should serve. And even when you're a pastor, you should still serve as God you know, en- enables you to do. And so that a novice can still serve. They can share their testimony. They can uh, help. They can testify. Uh, they can worship the Lord. They can grow. They can fellowship. They can speak in the church. But they can't be a pastor, okay? They need to be taught. And, and again, God, God forbids it. So I would say this before I go to the, the verse 7, and we'll probably close with that tonight. But I would say this, that a church should never consider themselves uh, so needy or desperate for a pastor or for any kind of minister that they settle for something that's not of God. Never, never, never should a church settle for somebody unqualified because they feel we're just desperate. You know, somebody settles for something, they're just sick and tired of waiting, so they marry anybody. They're sick and tired of waiting, so uh, the church is tired of not having a pastor, and God hadn't sent one yet, so they grabbed this one. Don't do that. 
Not that you would do that. I'm saying to church, the church should never consider themselves desperate. We're the church of the living God. He can supply a pastor for your church or a leader or a minister or an evangelist or what's needed in your church. He can supply that. Don't throw out God's standards or half of God's standards or a third of God's qualifications and say, well, this is the best we have. And we're desperate and this guy needs a job. We're going to hire him. That's not, that's not at all the spiritual. What we see in the Bible, they prayed and fasted. And the Lord said, separate uh, Paul and Silas for the work that I've called them to, right? As they prayed and fasted. And so that, that's the way to do it. Don't lower God's standards. He gave the standards. All right, verse 7. Last qualification or group of qualifications for the, for the bishop or the overseer. Verse 7. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Okay? And so what does it mean, a good report? Whoever this individual is has to have a good testimony, I guess you would say reputation, among the people of his church. People would look around. I could, I could start pointing, men and women, and say, this person has a good report among the believers at Cornerstone. The person also has to have a good report of them which are without. What does he mean without? I think it simply means that, without the church. Maybe, maybe they're not part of that local church, they're part of another church, or probably he's speaking about lost people. What kind of report? This guy is a carpenter, and he works in a carpentry shop with some other people, and in his church, the people know him. They know him as a godly man, and they would certainly consider him for a pastor if God called him. What kind of reputation does he have among those other people that he works with every day that don't know Christ? That's important. It's important. They might not like the guy because they hate Christianity, okay? But they know that he believes it, and he's true, and he's not a hypocrite. They might not believe any of it, but they know he believes it. And he's, he's a man of love, and he's a man that believes what the truth as, as he believes it to be and so forth. So that's very important. He's got to have a good report of them that are without, within and without. So unfit Christians or church leaders can bring reproach on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that. Most of y'all have learned, lived long enough to see it. You read about it, you see it on TV, or you know it personally from experience. But un don't meet the unqualified. I'm saying that they're not saved. I'm saying those that don't meet these qualifications and walk in that. Okay? Unfit, unqualified leaders within the church, certainly pastors, they get the most uh, attention, can bring or do bring great reproach on the name of the Lord within the church. And without of the church, they can do a lot of damage. We've seen it with our own eyes. And, and I have give this thought. Satan is after all believers. Satan's after you if you've given your life to Christ. Before you were saved, he already had you. I was telling the guys at Parkview today, kind of talking on that thought. I went up to one of the guys and said, Satan's, Satan's got his hands 
I'm just saying, if you're lost, he's got his hands over your ears and over your eyes, and he's, you're already his. You just sit quietly and, you know, behave yourself and sit over there. I'm going to go after some of these Christians, and I want to ruin their testimony because if their friends are close to being saved and watching them and, you know, ready to get saved, and I'm going to ruin this one's testimony so those five other people don't give their life to Christ. Satan is after believers, period. But can I tell you, he's got a big bullseye on the, on the backs of pastors. He is after pastors. There's no doubt about it. And so uh, he, he is after them because he wants to, leaders, pastors and leaders in the church. And so the devil, let's look at verse 7, lest he fall. He's got to have a good report. The end of verse 7, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil does not mean he's losing his salvation. It means he's falling into reproach and the snare of the devil. What's a snare? It's simply a trap. It's a hidden trap that doesn't look like a trap. And the bird comes along. When I was a little kid with my brother and my two boy cousins about the same age, we would be at my grandmother's house and we would uh, get a big plastic laundry basket and we would prop it up and we'd put a stick on it and a string on the bottom of the stick and put some breadcrumbs in there and we'd sit back and hide behind the garage or the corner of the house and we would hope a blackbird or something would hop in there to get the breadcrumbs and when they did we'd pull the string and catch them under the laundry basket. It was that wasn't a very hidden trap. That's not a good example of a snare and I don't know that we caught too many birds. But the point is Satan sets traps, snares, and he wants people to, to fall into them. And he would love for a pastor to fall in. Some have, and, and some don't. And so uh, I'm going to look at one more verse, and then we're going to pray. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. That's all the qualifications of the bishop through verse 7, okay? Next week, we'll look at the qualifications for the deacon. I didn't want to just start on it tonight. but so And they're very similar, by the way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you. So it's not just people in the church. We ought to know people in the church. We ought to know them, take an interest in their lives spiritually. But know them that are labor among you, so they're serving among you. They're in the local church. And are over you in the Lord. And admonish you, know them. You should know them. You should know their character. You should know the best you can their walk with the Lord. And esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Just thought that was a good, uh, good way to close. So here's what I'm, we're gonna, how we're going to close tonight. I would like us, whether it's at the altar or at your seat or wherever you are, to pray for pastors. And I'm asking you to pray for me as well. I don't I don't exempt myself from any of this stuff, okay? Whether it's the qualifications or the special attention that Satan may give to pastors desiring to bring them down. Bring them down in such a way that it brings shame to Christ. The, the, the church could break up and fall apart, and the devil just laughs, and the world's just laughing. But Christianity and Christ and is nothing to laugh at. It's holy. It's of God. And we want to pray for, I want you to pray for pastors, and I thank you and covet your prayers for me as well.
So D, if you would come. <coughs> so the altars are open, and I just want to encourage you to pray. Pray for, for pastors. We do know very specifically what we're praying about tonight at the altar. Pray for pastors in this country. Pray that God would keep them strong. Pray they would keep their eyes on Jesus. Pray they wouldn't fall into a snare of the devil. Burn out. Pray that they would uh, not compromise with the things of God. Pray they wouldn't get burnt out. Pray they keep their eyes on Christ and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Just let's come and, and pray and spend time praying for them for a few minutes before we go.